Thank you for everybody for tuning in. Welcome to another episode of Coder Conversations. We have a uh, special guest, Brian Pulliam, back. Welcome back, Brian. Thank you. Glad to be here. Yeah, glad to have you, man. Uh, how's everything been going? Good. Uh, you know, enjoying uh, Snowden a little bit at the moment, but uh, uh, enjoying some time off and uh, helping out some clients at a few various tech companies in the last week has been really fulfilling. Awesome. Uh, how's your coaching business been going? Good. Uh, clients include some people at DoorDash, Microsoft, Oracle, Zillow, Coinbase, Peloton, uh, quite a few different tech companies now. So uh, word of mouth is kind of getting out. And uh, now that holidays are coming closer, people have some time to meet to talk about <laughs> some of their goals. Uh, some people were pushing pretty hard until code freezes, but most people um, have frozen their code bases. Uh, a few days ago and so now they have some time to come up for air how about you how's that how are things on your end oh man uh extremely busy man uh you know pretty much rewriting completely rewriting this one application and you know some of the front end lead it pretty much falls on my shoulders so you know how that goes uh especially when you know the code base already exists the previous coders they try to use all these advanced design patterns and you have to kind of unravel everything and figure out how to you know write it you know, in a way that they're not going to have to be writing in a couple of years. So not the most fun thing, but, you know, it keeps me employed. So I can't complain. <laughs> so, um, <clears throat> yeah. So can, can, you, can you, for those who, who aren't familiar with you, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and what you do? Sure. Uh, my name is Brian Pulliam. I'm the founder of a, a coaching practice called Refactor Coaching, refactorcoaching.com. Uh, I realized about six years ago that what I'm personally fulfilled by has a lot to do with helping other people be successful. And so I have about 25 years in tech across TPM, engineering manager and engineer uh, backgrounds, including data analyst and BI developer as well, uh, and worked for a number of different companies. Uh, the ones you've probably heard of, Microsoft, Zillow, and Coinbase most recently. and. Uh, I don't know if it, I think I had good managers, but I know a lot of people who didn't. And I think I saw a gap there about, wow, a, a good manager is like a good teacher. You can get through a lot of content with a single class if you have a good teacher and that whole class benefits. And if you have a bad teacher, it's kind of the opposite. So I, I've always loved helping other people succeed. And so as of June this year, I pivoted to uh, coaching uh, engineering and product people in tech as my primary focus. So that is uh, that is what I do now. So, like, uh, what 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 do you primarily help uh, engineers with? Like, what what are you uh, are you is it like career coaching, technical coaching, or it's primarily career and leadership coaching. So, I would say the three scenarios that I help with the most is uh, a new manager, so someone who was an IC and then becomes a manager and wants to not fall into any pits they don't have to about uh, how to set them up for success early on in their leadership career, that would be one. Two would be someone who's ready uh, to start the conversation about getting a promotion at their tech company, uh, hopefully to make that happen in the next nine to 12 months. So how do you do that and, and uh, enlist your manager's help as an advocate uh, would be the second one. And then third would be some sort of job change. So either interview prep for a new job or starting a new job, how do I make sure I have a really high impact in the first 90 days? Got it. 
<clears throat> so for like someone like Terrence, who's a team lead, um, like what 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 services would you offer him? Like what what would be the next level for him? Well, I don't know a lot, a lot about Terrence's background. I'd have to ask him some questions. But uh, uh, what are, you said you were at Deadly before the, we started here, Terrence. Are you a senior right now? Like, or where's uh, where, where are you at in the higher on the sort of seniority level? I at, at these days I just consider myself a developer. I don't necessarily consider myself a, a senior. Um, but because I let me just focus on answering the question. Uh, as far as like where I am as at my level, do I feel like a senior? I, I have the title of senior, but I don't necessarily feel I am like this super high level dev. I just feel like I'm a dev with more experience under my belt. Um, uh, yeah, I as far as like lead, uh, I'm, I'm a lead in, in a different way than I was before, if that makes any sense. Uh, the team that I was a, a part of before this new gig was a little was, was smaller. It was mm, three to four people. Uh, and in this team, we're about nine or 10. Uh, but then it's not just my team. There's a bunch of different teams uh, that all work together in, on the same code basis. So it's a lot of collaboration that goes along with, uh, along with my, my job. If that makes sense. Yeah. Um, like there's there's way more for me personally. Uh, to give you an idea of what I do like day to day, it's about seventy percent memes and like thirty percent coding now, um, and more so discussing architecture changes that need to be made, like talking about code rather than actually writing code. Um, and like to sort of tie this back into your services or what or what you do, do you offer any services that would help with like public speaking or uh, or I guess yeah, uh, public speaking would probably be the best way to put it. Yeah, I do. You sounds like you're at a point in your career where you're pivoting. The company has now decided that you, it is more valuable for you to not write as much code because what you have to offer is more valuable than the code writing all day long. And what what that's usually a signal from your company that they want you to amplify the impact of the people around you. So they have you do some non-coding responsibilities day to day. So that's PR reviews or architecture doc writing or being in yeah. meetings and things like that. So. What we'd normally do, Kevin, is we would, Terrence and I would sit down and we would talk about what his goals are. Does he want to get better at public speaking? Uh, why does he want to get better at public speaking? Is it because he's going to a conference or because he has to convince uh, another team to take a two-day bug fix so his team doesn't have to do a three-month rewrite right, of this particular mm -hmm. library? Uh, you know, that's very common. And the the more influential, the more senior you become in a tech company, the more the people problems become harder than the coding problems, uh, which is to say, how do you collaborate in a way that everybody is winning and uh, and still be able to get your work done, even though you don't always control what everyone else does because you're working a lot more with peers or with the leaders of your peers. So my approach has a lot to do with focusing entirely on someone's goals understanding whether or not my experience or background would help them and then just making sure their values and their strengths are in alignment with their goals so we can come up with a plan on how to achieve those goals so for someone like terrence that might be uh 
it could be a concern that I'm not writing as much code anymore. So like, do I feel as valuable as I did before? Like, it's very common for people to say, I don't feel as valuable because I'm in meetings all day. So reassuring them that that's, uh, as long as those meetings are impactful, they could avoid your team having to write six months of code as long as you come to a meeting prepared uh, to tell your leadership why they you shouldn't build the project, <laughs> which has a lot uh, a lot of influence, uh, and uh, a few other things along those lines as well. Influence being uh, one of the top ones. So it's really it's highly variable depending on the client. I have a client that was not in tech that wanted to get into tech. So for her, it was interview prep and teaching her terminology. She got like about a 40, 45% raise when she went from non-tech to tech. So for her, it was a very meaningful increase. But I also am working with a cloud architect who's starting a cloud co-op in his local community uh, in order to employ technical refugees who normally go to meat processing plants who are now gonna be able to, uh, who are doctors, ex-doctors or ex-coders to be able to become cloud engineers so that they can improve the generational wealth for the people in his community, right? Like he's just decided that's what he wants to do. Um, and he has a passion for teaching and a passion for cloud. So it's quite a wide spectrum, quite frankly, Kevin. Mm. Okay. But anything that has to do with the skill sets needed to be successful as an engineer or as a product manager uh, is where I, uh, where I can help the most. Okay, yeah, I just kind of want the audience to get an idea of uh, what services you offer and uh, are, are your services for like junior engineers all the way up to uh, what level would you say is a cutoff? Yeah, I would say probably around director and below is kind of where I focus, uh, you know, anywhere from college hire. I would say if, if you're only 12 months into a role, like into working, if you only have one year of job experience, uh, it can be helpful for us to meet a couple times and just make sure you're on a good path early and you have a supportive manager. But most of the problems that I help people with usually are things that happen when they've been on, uh, they have about five to 15 years of work experience. Got it. Um, so yeah, you sent me a document earlier. You mind if I put that on the screen and we can sure. kind of go over something? Okay, yeah. pull that up here. So Raja, Terrence, I don't know if uh, uh, how much you got a chance to look at the document, but I was uh, there was a uh, a friend of mine had asked that I do an overview to a group of uh, financial planners about well, what is tell us about the things that stand in the way of of people achieving their career goals uh, in the tech field. What are the common career obstacles that people might run into? So. Um, yeah, I guess I can just uh, say next slide and do that. So sure. uh, for those uh, who are earlier career, there's, a, there's a, a few slides here at the front that kind of do some explanation about some terminology that you might hear, which is good to understand early career. One is there is a set of job level terms. You might hear IC3 or L4 or P5 or M3. You know, what do those type of things mean? Uh, so there's some... Uh, terminology for us to understand and what our expectations are at different levels. So that if you go from a uh, L4 to an L5 engineer and you're working at Microsoft, what does Microsoft expect from an L5? Is it okay to be an L5 for five years or is that not okay? Um, when you're earlier in your career, you don't, uh, you don't know these kind of things. And then along those lines, what the criteria are for the three criteria for getting promoted at any company, uh, they don't really change uh, what, 
perf ratings look like, what a compa ratio is, and then a common career obstacles that you might run into when you get to certain levels. Uh, and then a color coding exercise I encourage people to do if they feel like they're within 12 months of getting promoted. So uh, that's the agenda. Uh, we'll try to go through this pretty quickly. So we have time for questions at the end. Sure. Did you want me to change to the next slide? Yeah, go for it. Okay. So you guys probably know what levels that FYI is, but um, for those people earlier in their career, uh, it can be hard when you go from one company to another to understand that not all of the job titles are created equal. A senior at this company may not actually be a senior at another company. And so the website www.levels.fyi is a super valuable website to understand when you're thinking about moving or trying to compare one company's compensation in tech to another company. And you will see on levels.fyi the term IC. IC just means individual contributor. Basically, just means that you're not a manager. Uh, so you can be a tech lead. So Terrence, if you are not a manager and you're not writing performance reviews, uh, you're not hiring and you're not firing, but you're a tech lead, you would still be considered an IC. Uh, and the opposite of an IC would be a manager. Uh, so a, a lot of companies will use the prefix M and then follow that up by the level of the manager. So you might see something like M6. M6 would be typically an entry-level software engineering manager. Uh, and if you see IC6 or P6, uh, that would be the same level in terms of compensation, but for a non-manager responsibility. And combining those two together, the more agnostic L6 says that level, regardless of whether you manage people or not. If you're interested about why those numbers are sixes or fives or fours, you can you can do a Google search on something called the Radford scale. It's a very common globally understood scale. It is not tech specific, uh, so uh, but it does help explain why why six matters and what's the difference between a five and a six. Uh, L3 is typically a college hire. So if you're talking with somebody and they say, I'm an L3, it means they're entry level. Senior engineers are usually L5s. Uh, and a frontline manager may be an M5 or an M6. Uh, and at most tech companies, not all, you might see that the uh, M4 compensation and the IC5 compensation might be the same level. At other companies, it doesn't, they don't make that subtraction. They'll just say, hey, L5 is the same for IC5 or for M5. Questions on the terms? This is the boring part. So we've got to set some baseline info here. So. All right, why don't you go to the next slide, Kim? So now that we know these uh, these terms, the next people the question that people ask is like, hey, how long can I stay at these levels before people start before my boss starts to get worried? And the generic answer is you should keep getting promoted until you get to senior. Most tech companies understand that you could stay at senior for for 15 or 20 years. It's not that big of a deal. Uh, most People who are senior will probably get bored at a particular company and want to leave after probably three to five years uh, if they don't feel like it's a company they can grow into or if they're running into some of those career obstacles we'll talk about later. But generally in L3 as an entry level college hire, we expect them to be at that level for eh, two to three years. But if it goes much longer than three years, your manager starts to ask questions like, hey, like, Kevin, why aren't you growing? Like, why have you been an L3 for five years? That's not a good thing. Like, that's where we need to start having conversations. Like, hey, if you're not growing in the time we expect, um, is this the right long-term career path for you? 
which is actually a pretty difficult conversation for a manager to have with you because you may not be doing bad. It's just you're not growing like we had hoped. You get more time at L4, usually two to four years. Uh, if, you're, if you're L4 for six or seven years, people start to ask questions. So that's when you typically see people wanting to move companies to see if they can find a way to, to move forward. And like I said before, L5 senior, most companies so, uh, don't care if you ever get promoted beyond senior. Most companies don't have enough openings for every senior to become staff engineer or principal engineer, quite frankly. Um, and the blockers to get from senior to staff have a lot to do with like the business needs of the org that you're in. So you might be ready to get promoted, Terrence, from senior to staff. And yet if the group that you're a part of doesn't have the charter to justify a business need for a staff level engineer, then you will never get it at that in that org, right? You have to go, you will literally have to move teams to go find that. So not all teams can support a staff level engineer. I have a question about that then. Go ahead. How do you know if a team can support a staff level engineer or even if, yeah, I guess that's that'd be my first question. How do you know yes. if they support that? So generally a staff level engineer works on company wide uh, it problems. Uh, so if you have a company of say 500 engineers uh, and say that's broken up into say uh, like 50 teams, then a staff level engineer is probably going to be working on something that is supports at least half to three quarters of those teams if it's a platform uh, investment that we're making or it's something that significantly impacts the bottom line uh, for the company's profitability like it's going to bring in a lot more customers so when you're interviewing for uh, to join a new company especially if you're a senior you start to ask questions about the charter and the scope of the team to get an idea on whether or not they have capability to be able to have staff level engineers in your org. They don't always even report to the same person. Sometimes they report to the skip level manager, like the, the engineering manager's boss. And so that's one way to check. And then the other one is just to say, hey, how many staff engineers do you have right now? If you have three staff engineers in your current org, and a few of them have been there for three or four years, that's a clear indicator, right? Because uh, there are already people employed. So there's a good chance that those people might move on in two to three years and that they would want to backfill those rules. That makes sense? Yeah, that makes sense. Thank you. Uh, I have a question. Like, so let's just say there's a bootcamp grad, right? Mm -hmm. And he has four years, two years of experience. And there's a person with bachelor's who also has two years of experience. Who do you like? Does it matter? When the doesn't matter. comes up, doesn't, doesn't matter. matter. Doesn't matter. You know, uh, typically, this is this is. I'm going to answer this question for the last three companies I've worked with, but I've worked for, but they are bigger companies, and so, generally speaking, it is incredibly important to have a consistent standard that you apply to every employee at a given level to determine whether they're performing or not. Right. If you don't have that, you invite a gigantic amount of bias, even if you're not trying, even if you're trying to avoid it. Uh, you know, you get in an argument with somebody and you don't have a clear checklist and you go to sit down and write the review, it is difficult for our human brains to, to be 100% objective. So when it comes to promotion, I should be looking at that list of, 
of bullet point expectations. Like what are those phrases that every company has for a given level that says, this is what it means to be doing your job as a senior. And I should be evaluating myself against that. And my boss should be doing it. And we should do that exercise separately. And then we should bring those notes together. So that's that color coding exercise I mentioned later. Um, you might have a lot of interest in that because it'll answer your question pretty yeah, in I've, depth. Yeah. I do have a question about that. Like I looked at it long back. I, I think that's you had a post on LinkedIn about it. So Oh yes. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Any other questions? On sure. Uh yeah, I just wanted to ask uh so it says uh, most seniors don't make staff engineers. So what are some of the defining characteristics of a senior who is uh, capable of making staff engineer and what are some of the disqualifiers? Yeah. So this, if the company has a really clear set of expectations for senior and staff, then it's the person who is uh, completing all of the items for senior and probably also satisfying about 80 to 90% of the, of those expectations for the next level. So, you know, uh, I'm not sure if tech is different than other verticals in this space, but a promotion in tech, right, is an acknowledgement that Terrence is already performing at that next level. It's not like we're going to take a chance on Terrence because we think he can probably do the job. It's like, no, 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 no. Like it means you've been consistently performing at that level already for three to six months. And we don't think it's a, it's now the new average. So we're going to raise the floor on our expectations for Terrence, which just happens to come with a raise and more stock or, you know, a new job title and things like that. So we know someone's ready when they have met all, they're consistently meeting expectations for senior and they're meeting like 80 to 90% of the expectations for the next level. Got it. Uh, did you want me to move on to the next slide? Sure, let's do it. So in terms of promotion, there's actually three criteria, which pretty much exist at all tech companies. Uh, and any one of these can disqualify you. <laughs> Some of them you don't have control over. Uh, spoiler alert. So one, is there budget for the company to promote you? So this becomes harder at higher levels. Uh, at a fintech company, getting promoted from say senior engineer to staff engineer uh, if you include total compensation is about a two hundred thousand dollar increase per year right it's it's a big number and so uh the jump from senior to staff uh if there's no money for that right then, then they can't they can't do it so this is one reason that as a tech as a tech employee, you should understand like, how is your company doing in terms of performance? Do they have money? Uh, you know, are customers raving about the product? Is revenue going up? Uh, two, I already mentioned, individuals already performing at this level for three to six months. It depends on the company, but most companies will not say, Kevin, we are gonna let you try being a principal, even though you're not performing at that level. That's just too high of a risk. Uh, and it's not in your best interest. Like if we raise the expectation and you haven't shown us you can do it, uh, we could be having a performance conversation about like, hey, you're not meeting the bar. Well, they didn't really show you you could meet the bar. It'd be unfair to promote them. They could actually get fired, right? Like that, like you do not want to get promoted too early. It is a bad idea. Um, and third, and this is what happens often at staff level, is there needs to be enough work, a business need for someone to be operating at that next level. Most companies, have need, business need all the way up to senior, pretty much no matter what they work on. 
Uh, so if you work long enough and you do well, you can make it to senior. Uh, that is not the case for staff. Uh, so this is the limiting factor for L6 and above. Many ICs uh, and managers may actually need to move teams or companies to find charter for this level. So this is, I have evening news anchor here. It's like, Kevin, if you're waiting to become the evening news anchor and someone else is already the news anchor, like you better hope they retire or win the lottery or something. Like they have to vacate that role for you to take it unless the company's growing and needs more people doing that role than they used to. Got it. Um, I, I know a lot of people are familiar with like the different levels of uh, engineers up to senior, but what what exactly do staff engineers and principal engineers do for those who don't really know? Yeah, so typically a staff, uh, some companies uh, put principal above staff, but for the purposes of answering your question, I'm going to assume that principal engineer like at a Microsoft is similar to a staff level engineer at like another company because most most companies it goes senior staff or senior principal they typically work on problems that are going to impact the company overall so at a company that has 300 or 400 engineers there may be five or ten principals and they're on a short list and if there is a bug that no one understands that list of principals is who they start with like we need someone to take the lead on this it is highly ambiguous. We have no idea what's going on. You know, uh, we're gonna say, Terrence, you're one of our staff engineers, you go figure this out. They have a high degree of autonomy. Oftentimes a staff level engineer is uh, never waiting for someone to tell them what to do. They are uh, proposing the work that the company, the org or the team should be doing. So uh, the analogy I would use with my own directs would be, I'm handing you a machete you're going out into the forest and bushwhacking and finding new opportunities and coming back and telling me we should invest in this. Uh, and it's not on our roadmap right now. And here's why we should do it. So you are advocating to add work or remove work or modify work from our charter or from our roadmap because you feel like it's in the best interest of the company. Like a staff engineer is uh, proposing work and leading work. They may be on your team but they may go help another team for three to six months, like as like an, an engagement where they get sort of deployed overseas, if you will, and go help because that's where they're needed the most. And then they might come back six months later. So uh, they definitely work cross team. In most companies, they work cross 10 or 15 teams on really difficult problems that need some expertise. Got it. Uh, should I change to the next slide? Sure. All right. So perforatings, I think most tech companies at this point probably use a five point scale. Um, I don't know, what do you guys use? You guys use a five point scale? Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm not completely sure of my company. Okay. Have you, Rajan? Yeah, uh, I don't think we use a scale per se. It's okay. a lot of, you know, you have to write and like talk to your manager a lot. But you, Terrence? I, I wouldn't know. Okay. okay, so typically tech companies are looking to single out those people who are, they want to pay for performance, right? And so what they're looking to do is identify who the outliers are. They want to identify who are the really, really high performing people and who are the really, really low performing people. And for the people in the middle, uh, they don't care as much about 
stack ranking uh, Sally versus Steve versus John if their performance is kind of in the middle. There is this theory that, hey, I need to spend more time making sure my top performers stay. And if I've identified a poor performer, I need to come up with a performance improvement plan or, or, or uh, potentially terminate them and bring in someone else who can do a better job. So the risks exist often at the extremes. And so the way that companies handle this is usually a five-point scale. Now I say five-point scale, it's technically a four-point scale. Uh, one is usually the worst rating and five is the best rating. But managers oftentimes when they are trained on annual review are told, if you get a one rating, uh, that is a fault on the manager that you're still employed at the company by the time annual review comes around. Like a one is a pretty bad review. And so ones are in practice almost never given out. So if I were gonna get, if my manager were to give me a one, they're probably already have me on a pip and like, and I shouldn't be at the company come performance review time. Uh, so the lowest rating we actually give out in practice is a two. Uh, but not all of the ranges are created equal. A three represents something like 70% of your workforce. So out of a hundred people, maybe 70 people are gonna be getting a three. And uh, of a four, maybe you'll see 10% of people get a four and maybe like three or four people get a five. And so it is definitely a bell curve in terms of standard deviations. Uh, five ratings are very rare. Uh, it's usually something like two to 5% on uh, uh, in a large group. And the three rating is quite wide. So I actually find as a leader that the three rating is so wide that I actually artificially create a two and a half, a three and a three and a half so that I can have a better conversation. So if Kevin reported to me and I could say, Kevin, you were a high three or a three and a half, or Kevin, you were a low three, you almost got a two, like we need to work on improving your performance in the following areas. Because saying you're a three does not give you the granularity you need to know on whether or not you are just below a four or just above a two. Questions on perf ratings? No. So comp ratio, uh, this happens usually at bigger companies, but any company where different people, where people can make different amounts of money, but have the same job title, there is a bell curve for salary, right? So Terrence could be getting paid a hundred thousand for a job that Kevin's getting paid 110,000 for that I'm getting paid 90,000 for. And the way we represent the variance and what the target is, at a bigger company is called the compa ratio. You can Google this and learn all about it. it is typically a floating point value. It almost never goes below 0.8 and it almost never goes above 1.2. And uh, the median is 1.0. So if everybody gets paid the same, then everybody would have a compa ratio of 1.0, but there would be no point in tracking it <laughs> um, if everybody has identical salaries. So a lot of people ask me, what do I do when the salary question comes up in an interview? If it's for a bigger company, what you should ask them is what's the 0.8 comp ratio salary for this role at your company? And the reason you should ask that question is one, you're starting with 0.8, which is where they want to bring most people in. They don't want to bring in an employee above a 1.0 because it makes it really hard to get them raises because you will go outside of the range. You will get capped out uh, unless you're getting promoted into new bands. Uh, but you don't want someone getting paid below 0.8 because at that point it's a significantly less money and there can be some dangers in terms of feeling like there's no pay equity. So uh, by asking the recruiter, what's the 0.8 comp ratio for this, for this job at your company, 
they can tell you what that is. You can add 20% to that and find out what the median is. And you haven't divulged what it is you're willing to accept, but you are having a conversation about dollars. So Kevin, can, if Kevin hears that the 0 0.8 is 150,000 for a senior engineer, he's like, okay, well, 150 times 1.2. Okay, I get it. And then you can decide, is that midpoint close enough to your salary expectations that you would accept the job? But you haven't had to negotiate a number at all. So uh, uh, since this slide deck was created for financial planners, I suggest that all clients know their comp ratio. You usually don't know it unless you ask your manager. And some companies, a manager will only tell you at annual review. Um, but it's a, it's a question I uh, encourage all employees to ask their managers if there's if they work for a company where the salaries differ so if i'm trying to get a promotion right from inside the company i'm already inside the company yep do i just talk to my manager about my like like i'm trying to jump to a senior software engineer so do i just ask him straight up like hey what are the salary ranges for this position yeah you can ask what the salary range is for the position generally in tech it's a 12 to eh, 6 to 18 percent raise is usually what you see in a promotion um it depends on how much those bands overlap you know uh okay. at a company there are companies i've worked for where a single salary was represented by three different levels so there was an l3 a really high performing l3 that made the same money as a mid-performing l4 which made the same amount of money as a low performing L5. So if they overlap a lot, um, you might get a slightly smaller uh, uh, promotion increase for your, for your salary. But as you get beyond senior, most of the place that you see your salary, your total comp increase would usually be in stock if the company is publicly traded. Um, and it is often when you get promoted, we don't want your new comp ratio to be below 0 0.8. So we try to get you to like a 1.0 in your current level before you get promoted. So that that way, because if you're at a 0 0.85 and then you get promoted, it's a gigantic increase to your salary. Usually that means we've taken too long to give you a raise like that. There better be a good reason for that. It might be like the company has had difficult financial times this year, but as a promo, uh, we don't want someone getting promoted and being below 0.8. It's a bad idea. No. Uh, should I switch slides now? Yeah, go for it. All right, here we go. So with all of that baseline knowledge in place, uh, these are the most common career obstacles that uh, tech employees run into. So uh, you will not get a promo if there's no business need for that next level, no matter how qualified you are. Um, and that's just kind of the nature of the beast. It doesn't usually matter until you get to senior. Uh, if they promoted you to staff and you didn't have work to do on your team for staff, there's no way you're gonna get a good review because you don't have level appropriate work to go do, right? You would have to spend all of your time, you know, asking other leaders if they have work for you to do at that level. That's a pretty difficult thing for the average software developer to put as an expectation on their shoulders. Uh, Secondly, sometimes what you care about and what your boss cares about are very different things, right? They, they don't just care about you, but they care about the team and they care about um, a, a whole set of people's career development. So understanding what your manager's currency is, is really important uh, and not financial currency, but what goals do they have? So if you're trying to get promoted, it's really important that you see how your work fits into their goals. 
And so if you haven't in a one-on-one, if you haven't already, if you don't already know what your manager's goals are for 2023, that's a conversation you should have. What are you trying to accomplish? How can I help? You know, if this is the world map and I'm here, what can I help with? Uh, Secondly, uh, managers are sometimes career obstacles. You know, you can have a terrible manager or a manager that's just not good at advocating for you. So if, if Kevin is my direct and Kevin is asking me to give him opportunities and yet when I'm in meetings with other managers and I hear about a project that Kevin could be amazing at being a tech lead for, but I'm not saying, hey, give that project to my team. I want Kevin to drive that because he's looking for an opportunity like that. Uh, that makes Kevin's job really hard to advance in his career because Kevin will never know all of the opportunities for him to demonstrate performance at the next level himself. It will have to come often from the manager or from the peers of the manager. Uh, the other thing that stops people from being able to, to get uh, promoted in their career is just not rampantly stealing from the information that they have at their disposal. So if you have 10 bullet points that describe what it means to be senior, don't paraphrase them, like copy and paste them exactly and then use examples. It is not plagiarism to refer to these bullet points uh, when it comes to making a case for whether you should get promoted. Don't make other people's jobs difficult to see that you're meeting the bar. Um, uh, and the last two on here, um, not being aligned with your manager and where you stand, you may feel like you're only three months away from a promotion. If your boss feels like it's 18, there's a gap to close there and you kind of have to do some work to close the gap so you guys can get on the same page. And third, uh, depending on the company you work for, it can be really helpful to have someone who's not your boss or is not really good friends with your boss to have you as a mentor or a coach, someone who's not going to change if they leave the company or uh, if there's a reorg at your company, you don't just, you don't lose your mentor. Uh, I have people I've worked with in the past, uh, at companies I used to work at that have had 10 managers in the last 12 months. Um, there's no way you can build a lasting relationship with a manager. If you've had 10 of them in the last year, you have to take more responsibility on documenting your career progress and fill in your new boss when they show up. So you don't lose that career momentum. Questions there? Uh, sure. Like, um, so somebody, you know, like if you're going from like junior to senior, there's a lot of others to reach out to. But as you mentioned, principals, staff engineers, there's not a lot of uh, people that make it to that level. So how does one prepare to get to that level? Like, what do they need to know that they typically don't have, like a senior doesn't have? Yeah. So generally speaking, a promotion is... Uh, uh, recommendation is reviewed by a group of people. It could be formal, like a promotion panel at a bigger company where very few people that know the person are in the room to re reduce bias. Like these documents are just handed to somebody and they say, this group of 12 people review this and see if it meets the bar. Most companies though, um, the people deciding whether you will get the promotion know you at most companies. And so it's really important. You understand who is going to be in that room. Uh, there's nothing wrong with saying, hey, you know, if I'm Terrence and I'm trying to get staff engineer, hey, who usually is a part of like reviewing the promotion recommendations? They'll usually tell you, you go to those people 
six months before you want to get promoted and you say, hey, I have a goal to get promoted in summer of next year. Give me honest feedback. What am I doing great at? What are my gaps? And then get those people to tell you what you need to work on so you can enlist them as advocates. Because the more people you have supporting you besides your boss, the more it seems like it's just a no brainer. So if if Kevin's boss goes into promo panel or into a group of people and only his boss is talking uh, uh, about what Kevin did, uh, but nobody else even knows Kevin or what Kevin has worked on, that's not that's not a good sign, right? Like we we need some visibility and some advocacy. So what would be better is if three or four of those people said, oh yeah, Kevin reached out to me about wanting this promotion six months ago. I've been giving him feedback. He's been incorporating it. He actually, uh, actually work with us on our project and help us identify a bug before it became an incident. Uh, he's showing really good collaboration skills and uh, sharp technical acumen when it comes to creating architecture docs. Like you want people other than your boss to be able to speak your praises in that, in that promotion uh, recommendation review. So that's really important. Uh, and then also people who already have your title that you want. Go talk to the staff engineers because the staff engineers will be asked hey, um, uh, you're a staff engineer. Do you think that uh, Terrence is ready for this promotion? And their uh, feedback will carry great weight because they're already performing that role. I think that probably covers it, Kevin. So Rajan, I, I know you asked this question earlier. Uh, in order to get crystal clear alignment, so I've taken, um, I've written some of the bullet points for what are ex, uh, what expectations are at different levels of managers for prior companies I've worked for. So this is an example of that. So this first column is sort of an entry level manager, and then the second column is a more senior manager. And this is just has to do with. Uh, you can see this is more about uh, engineering management leadership. You can see a couple recommendations in there to this, I believe. So. This color coding exercise is something for you and your boss to do separately. You color code red, yellow, green. Red is you are not yet demonstrating these things. Yellow is you're doing it some of the time. And green is, nope, I'm consistently demonstrating. And you ask your boss to do the same thing. And then you bring them together and you compare notes. And what's beautiful about this is uh, there's no way to not get feedback. If you have a boss that doesn't give you a lot of feedback and you ask them to do this exercise, they have to give you feedback if they're going to give you a yellow or a red, right? Like you can't, like I can't go to Kevin and say, yeah, Kevin, you're a yellow, but I don't really know why. <laughs> like no manager's going to say that, right? So if you find that your boss is not good at sharing feedback, constructive feedback with you, this is a good way to force those conversations to happen. So you do this. If you put your yellow or red on any bullet point and your boss says you're green, congratulations, you're doing better than you thought you were. So you change yours to green. If you said you're green and your boss doesn't think you're green, two things, two possibilities. One, your boss just doesn't have the evidence you do. So now if you're Raj and you say, hey, here's the five reasons that I gave myself a green and your boss will say, oh damn, I only knew about two of those. I agree, you are green, but now you've advocated for yourself with data and you've raised, uh, you've changed your boss's perception on whether you're ready for that individual item. And if you guys are on the same page and they're both the same, then great. All you do at the end of this is talk about the yellows and reds and come up with a plan to close those gaps. 
in the timeline you want for promotion. So that's what you do. Um, I've done this myself and it was terribly helpful. Yeah, question. Yeah, so let's just say I'm going from L3 to L4, right? Yeah. But I, I think I'm personally doing something that an L5 is doing. Should I ask my boss to do L4 and L5 both together so that I have some kind of future understanding of like what I'm missing from L5, even though like I'll get definitely get promoted to L4. Yeah, I would say no. And here's why, like the odds that you are ready for a double promotion are very, very small. Right. Uh, and if so, even if you are demonstrating some of the L5 behaviors, best to bring that up when you're already L4. So um, you don't get credit for L5 capability if you're not meeting the, the goals for L4. Yeah. Like, let's say, like, let's say you had you were missing two of the five here in L4. You can't say, well, I have two at L5. So can I just fill the gaps with yeah. the L5? No, nope, that's not how that works. <laughs> um, I've tried that. It doesn't. It doesn't so, work, so if if I'm currently at an L4, I have like what, uh, let's just say I have two years of experience. I'm at L4 right now. I have three more years or maybe two extra years to for me to get to L5. So each year, do I just talk to him on his next year's goal or do I just like say once I reach L4, do I just ask him like, hey, what, what do you want from an L5? So we'll talk about this each year. And if I meet it, like, you know, we can yeah. get I would suggest a color coding exercise like this, um, yeah. probably about three months after you get promoted. You don't want to do it the day after because it kind of yeah. seems like you may not be appreciative of the promo you just got. Yeah. It may send a message that you don't understand where you are in the spectrum. Um, and you haven't like have the title for a while. But I would be reviewing this color coding document every quarter. Every quarter. Okay. I would be doing it at, like every three months. And it and you wouldn't you're not generating it from scratch, right? You're just hopefully you're just changing some colors to green, you know, once a quarter. Hey, I got these two projects. I feel like I demonstrated this well. And your boss may say, You're right, but you're not consistently demonstrating it because that was only one project. I need you to do one or two more, and then this can change from yellow to green. And you say, Okay, great. What are those projects? What's coming up next quarter that I can use to, to make this a green? What's going to close that gap? And then you, and then three months later, you revisit the document again. Okay. Uh, that feels like a good approach, like every quarter. Yeah. Yeah. And you shouldn't be writing those bullet points that they should exist already. If they don't, the other reason I recommend this is that if you don't have a clear set of bullet point expectations for your level and for your next level at your company, then it's going to be really hard to get promoted because it means every manager can just kind of pick a different definition of what it means to be senior. So if you get blocked on this exercise because those that those uh, phrases don't exist, that's when you bring it up to either HR or you bring it up to your director of engineering and say, hey, I think we need a standard definition here because right now it just feels like I moved to an, from one team to another and suddenly I'm, I'm staff engineer material, but over my other team, I wasn't right. Or vice versa. I'm staff here and I move and someone has a high bar and suddenly my performance is at risk. That's terrible. Uh, and also like when, uh, like, let's just say I'm talking to my lead or my teammate who's not, 
who's not the one who's giving me the promotion like you you talked about like advocacy like they're going to like kind of help me out when i'm getting that promotion so do i bring them into this conversation that hey these are my goals like this is what me and my manager talked about so, i would but you know not not everybody is comfortable doing that okay. you may not show them this document i would show them this document but i'm I'm like six sigma extrovert. So like for me it's a little bit different. I'll tell anyone who listens. So uh but showing what your gaps are or what you're trying to focus on improving, I think the other peers of your manager should know and then anyone who's already at that level on your team should also know like hey, I'm trying to demonstrate cross team leadership when it comes to delivering uh uh projects that that need at least five people. uh that that take at least 3 months. Do you have any of those projects coming up? And a peer EM might say, "Oh, I do have one of those and I don't have a senior on my team. Roger, could you do this? Could you lead this for us? Would you be interested in doing that?" And you might actually get an opportunity that would otherwise go unnoticed by sharing that with others. Yep, uh that that's what I was thinking. Like if I can share it with others, maybe my teammates or my coworkers they can give me that opportunity whenever it pops up cuz they obviously don't need it there at a higher level than me i'm trying to get to them so they may give that opportunity to me so that i can get there okay yep and same thing goes with when you get to senior you should also okay. be asking uh, more junior people to share their information with you for the same reason because yeah. you might get overworked in a particular week like let's say like you know you're working even though you shouldn't because it's past code free is like not naming any names on the call but uh uh then you might say hey a more junior developer wants a stretch assignment hey go look into this bug and see if you can go figure it out for me like i'm busy trying to get this thing deployed uh that's an opportunity you can create for the for the for the uh more junior engineers around you just like you want others to do for you. Okay. Yeah. Any other questions on that slide? No. Okay. So, I you ask a couple of these questions at the top uh Kevin, but people get a little confused when they hear coach and it's not in athletics. Uh coaching is just all it is is it's someone who's there to be an advocate for you that is not your boss that doesn't decide what your performance review is. Um It, that person doesn't change just because your boss leaves the company. They're just there to empower you to achieve your goals, and they're not there to do the work for you. They're there to teach you how to help yourself, so that you don't need a coach for ten years. Like the goal would be to not need the same coach over and over again. Otherwise, you're not learning the skills you need. So you're learning to fish, and the three ways you do that usually are through guided questions, feedback, and through motivation. If we move on to the next slide. Oh, can't hear you, Kevin. Maybe you could chat. Kevin, I think you're muted. Can you type in the chat? I can't hear you. He may not have the ability to advance the slides because he got. kicked off and then joined again. When I saw the color coding exercise, I was like, oh, like I never had a promotion coming up or something, but I was like this is really helpful. Like 
this will literally like get your manager to do the, some things that hey if i'm doing it good you better promote me because you put it all green so you have to promote me at this yeah. time yeah and that 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 is part of it as well right part of this is accountability you know yeah. you know in amazon they create these future press releases like you know it's like after this project is done we'll be able to say all these statements that's kind of what this color coding exercise is meant to be i'm getting implicit agreement that if i do all these things that you will promote me now i'm just asking for you to give me the feedback and give me the opportunities for me to grow uh, and not every manager is good at giving feedback a lot of them aren't and so this is a good way to kind of kickstart that conversation what if as an example the let's just say i'm like a l4 right now and i want to get to an l5 but i i only have one year experience as an l4 i'm not at that you know typical four years of experience but mm -hmm. i have all the greens on my slide and the manager gives me all greens too would the manager promote me if not what can i do yeah so generally speaking uh, there is every company has a minimum amount of time they expect you to be in a given level before you get moved up. And this is where that word that that word consistently wears <laughs> yeah. its ugly head. It is unlikely a manager will give you all greens and not advocate for your promotion. What's more likely to happen is they will say, well, you've only been L4 for one year. So I'm giving you yellow, not because you're doing bad, but because you need to demonstrate this for a longer period of time. And they will say, look, you need to be a tech lead for three projects and each project is three months. So you need like a nine months minimum to be able to show me that you can do this uh, consistently and that I can rely on you to produce the desired outcomes. That's so usually how it will show up. Do, do we bring this up while we are having this discussion that, hey, like if you're expecting me to do two years as an L4, like what are you what projects or what kind of goals are you expecting you can't keep saying consistently without any actual like hard projects yep. that i can do yep so that's where you look to those yellows because these are probably yellows right if you've done them once yep. but you haven't done it enough they should be color coding those things yellow and you say great i hear you loud and clearly that i need to demonstrate this on more projects let's look at what's coming up next quarter that i can demonstrate being a tech lead Right. Or that I can uh, own writing the, the TDD for this. Right. Okay. Or that I, um, you want me to be a commander for um, an upcoming incidence. Right. Or do you want me to, to refactor our on call rotation and pager duty? Like whatever it is, uh, you use the lack of green to start a conversation about what will plug those holes. So it's like every quarter I just check check in on my mm -hmm. my exercise, I guess. Yep. Like and you say, hey, boss, is this yellow or green yet? And they'll say, nope. And you'll say, great. Does that mean I need a few more? And they'll say, oh, yeah, maybe one more project that's about a month long. Great. What kind of projects look like that for next quarter for Q1? Because okay. I would love to put my name down for it. Uh, yeah. So when the projects are not available, that's when you have to like, like that's probably at the staff level or senior level, I guess, when the projects are not available, that's when you actually like either move or move to a different team or a different company. I guess. Yep, you got it. And this is where having advocates that are already at that level or having advocates that are peers of your manager mean when those projects are getting assigned 
out to various teams, even if your boss doesn't remember, if Sally remembers and Sally's trying to advocate for you, Sally can actually remind your boss in the meeting, hey, Rajan said he was interested in a project that looks just like this. Why don't you guys take that and he could do it, right? You know, because mm-hmm. you might not be in that meeting. And so you need to enlist the help of others. Make sense? So Kevin didn't ask, but the reason I became a uh, a career coach is because I was an athletics coach for 13 years and I really, really enjoyed it. Uh, I coached uh, competitive youth athletics in volleyball. And I really loved that coaches looked to identify the unique strengths of individuals and then said, what position should this person play on this team to be successful? And then six years ago, I became a manager and I was terrified that I was not going to be qualified to do the job well. And then when I got into the job, I realized, wow, like 90% of what I know as an athletics coach actually uh, applies in the workplace. But wow, a lot of people don't manage a team like a coach manages a sports team, which to me is stupid. I think I don't think the workplace should be any different. I think we should be spending most of our time on our strengths. We should be hiding our weaknesses where we can or mitigating them. The only exceptions are if it's uh, if it interferes with the team um, or it interferes with your own success. So you can't be a jerk to people because that interferes with your success and with the team. Uh, so I have this phrase, work is more like chess than checkers. It is this unique combination of differently moving pieces. Each person on the team is a piece working in unison towards a common goal that create the greatest impact. That's what I believe. And I've realized a lot of managers don't think of leadership that way. And so I offer my assistance almost like a, a uh, secondary manager to help people see how to apply their strengths towards their goals. So most of the clients I work with go through a four-step process, which starts originally with a really deep dive on goals and why they matter to them. And then we spend time going through their key strengths and understanding their values and just make sure all three of those things are in alignment, get the goals, the values, and the strengths in alignment. Uh, and then we create a plan. We create a plan to, so you can wield your strengths like tools in a tool belt. And uh, because tech never stands still, uh, that plan often has to change over time because reorgs or company moves. I don't want to get promoted, says Kevin. I want to join a new company instead because I realize there's no charter for me to get to staff. Okay, well, the plan needs to change. And so the support to make sure you can achieve your goals is what a coach offers. So I think that might be the last slide, Kevin. Oh, you're muted still. But you can stop sharing if you want. There we go. Perfect. What do you think? Questions on that on that topics? Hey Brian, Yannick hey. here. I actually have a question. Um, <clears throat> does this apply to um, what size of companies uh, do, they, do these principles apply to? Uh, I figure startups uh, might be a little different. Um, so when does a company start implementing, um, uh, I guess, these principles? Yeah, I would say if you're working at a startup, right, the likelihood that they even have these bullet points written down is probably pretty small. Uh, it's more likely to be tenure based, you know, hey, you've been here for three years. And so that's when we make people a senior engineer. Um, uh, it is possible to drive some of those conversations and get and have these things get created. So if the company is five people 
right? The odds that you can go through such a, a formal process like this are pretty low because the work to do it for just one engineer is pretty high, right? The ROI is not there. So when you get to be about 30 or 40 engineers uh, at a company is when this, this conversation starts to come up. People start saying, hey, we're still, we're asking uh, Sally is up for promo, but so is Raja and so is Kevin. But how do we know that we're holding them all to the same bar because they have different managers? And that's when you start to need to have something more consistent. So when you have like three engineering managers, like three teams worth of engineers or higher, that's when a lot of these things can come into play. Uh, before then, you're, you know, you're just trying to make sure you don't run out of money before you, you run out of, before you get to, before you get your next funding round. Yeah, hey, uh, can you hear me? Yep. Yeah, oh. we can hear you. Good, Yanni. I actually have another question. So I, I believe in coaching. I, I believe coaches are really important. Um, but you don't typically see coaches in, uh, you know, in, in, in the corporate setting. When I did my boot camp, we had coaches. But then, you know, in my job, you know, I have a manager. It's a pretty good manager. Um, but not, not, not every manager could, could you know, could, could really take on that role of, of a coach. Do you think it's necessary for, I guess, larger, larger organizations, uh, companies that implement these uh, principles to, in some ways, maybe like employ coaches to kind of like, you know, you might, you might actually say yes to that question. But yeah, I, I think coaches might be a good thing for- Yes, uh, I think, sorry, go ahead. No, go ahead, go ahead. Uh, I think, I mean, you know, spoiler alert, I'm a coach. So the likelihood I say coaches aren't valuable is probably zero. But uh, but uh, I usually what happens is a lot of companies want to employ a coach, but they're worried about the scalability of hiring, say, one coach, and then they have 500 engineers because that's not enough people. But they don't know how to vet a, a good coach because they don't have a group at the company that does that kind of work it sort of exists between like l and d like if you had an l and d division and then you had an engineering division and you had hr it's kind of like wonder twin power three-way like combine and like a coach is kind of in the middle of those right where would you put that person you, they're not really hr right maybe they're engineering maybe they're l and d uh, what a lot of companies do is they will hire a, a coaching service so like better up is a good example better up coaching where um, uh, that company will say hey we will make this available to you if you are a manager at a certain level or um or we will offer this to you if you request it so sometimes it's like they will they will like third party they'll get a third party vendor to provide that support uh some companies only offer it at a certain level so at one of my old tech companies you had to be director level or higher and you would get assigned a dedicated coach that you would meet with the same coach every single time. And, but they weren't employees of the company. Uh, Amazon as a big company has a list of preferred coaches that certain levels of leaders can work with. And so the employee doesn't pay for the coaching. Amazon pays for the coaching, but there are criteria to get on that list. So sometimes it's a service. Sometimes it's a list of individuals. And then sometimes uh, what I recommend if, if people are in tech, a lot of tech companies have an L&D stipend, right? For engineers to take advantage of per year. Uh, using that on coaching, if you are trying to work on a career goal, is actually a really high value ROI. If you spend, you know, 
small amount of money, relatively speaking, to get a $100,000 raise or a $200,000 raise. That money is like 10 or 20x. Um, and sometimes what you might find out is, you know, I talk to all the staff engineers, they work 100 hours a week. I do not want to be promoted at this company. I don't, that's not what I want. Um, you might not have done that had you not worked with a coach to make sure that you realize what you were asking for. And so uh, I think it's money well spent. I have a coach myself. Uh, she's quite expensive, so I don't use her very often. But um, uh, but the reason I am a coach today is because of my coach. So um, I have I, a question regarding that. Yeah. Like the, how much does it cost? I know it's the big question that everybody's probably. Is it like a flat fee, or it depends upon the position where the you know the you know, the yeah. person is at? Yeah, it can vary widely. So um, generally. You know, if you're a per, so I don't encourage people to think about coaching as a per session rate because it has, it's not as much to do with the coach's time. No. Um, it's easy. It's hard for engineers to not think that way though. So on average, you're usually looking at around mm, 100 to say $500 an hour is usually what you're ended up paying. And if you look at it that way, you're like, wow, these people make a lot of money. Well, they don't work 40 hours a week. Like most coaches mm -hmm. don't. Um, but the way to look at it is what's the goal that I want to achieve and what's, what's the impact of me achieving that goal, right? If that's a promotion and it's worth this much money to you, um, see it as an investment in you achieving your goals. Uh, so generally a coach doesn't want to meet with you less than say five or six times because meeting you once, you're not going to achieve a promotion just because you met with somebody for an hour. I think that's an unreasonable expectation. And you need to, and sometimes you need to spread them out, right? Like if you want a promo in nine months, well, you don't want to have a meeting now and then a meeting in nine months. How did, how would I help you in between? Um, so there's a balance. A lot of coaches will meet with you either every other uh, week or once a month. So if your timeline for your goals is six to 12 months, it's usually around six to 12 sessions. Um, my coach, I met with uh, about every other week for about, uh, three to four months, and the, the cost was around seven or eight thousand. Um, for me, uh, making a transition to a job where I only had to work three hours a day rather than eight hours a day was very motivating for me. Um, yeah. And uh, I used her to help get the job, the last job I got. The last job I got, my comp went from uh, moving from one tech company to another, my comp went from around 350,000 a year to about 640,000 a year. Um, so coaching with her for 7,000 was a $300,000 per year improvement in my compensation. So was that worth it? Well, obviously that was worth it. Um, okay. So yeah. it depends upon what the person's goals are and where they want to get it at and how long it's going to take. Yeah. So it's kind of varies for everybody, I guess. Yep. Yeah. yeah. Earlier coaches like me who are starting out, like I have a lot of experience with athletics coaching and with managing people, but I don't have 10 years of experience being a career coach. Um, I may charge on the slightly on the more affordable side. Um, you know, the coaches I have looked at that are high profile coaches usually charge, I mean, $500 an hour and up. Um, I tend to charge less than that yeah. until I have a full client load and then I would increase my rates. So. Can you tell us about some of your bigger success stories? Sure. So uh, one client uh, was looking to get out of the 
she was in the railroad industry, which you would not think is very high tech, but a lot of the projects she worked on were technical in nature and she wanted to break into technology. Uh, I helped her prepare. She just didn't understand the language that engineers and tech people use. You know, she didn't know about epics and roadmaps and OKRs and story points and sprints and retros. She was doing these things. She just called them by different names and the terminology became an issue with her in interviews. Because Raja, if you hear someone call something other than KPI or OKR, but you know that's what they're talking about, you're like, well, wait a minute, do you know our, our, our field, right? It becomes a barrier. So I helped her practice for interview prep and she got a job and got a 40% raise. So um, moving into tech and for her, it is, she has a special needs child. So for her, it's like, she can finally afford to have like a live-in nanny so that she and her husband can go on a date. They haven't gone on a date in seven years. So, you know, it's not necessarily just about the money, right? It is like, for her, it was about, hey, I wanna be able to leave my house. Um, and that's difficult to do if I don't have a nanny that my special needs child feels comfortable around. Um, so for her, it was life-changing. Um, uh, so that was one example. Um, other people working at a company uh, that was a little bit more like a startup and were, were feeling worried about the current market conditions, like, hey, I want to work for a more stable company. So they were thinking about uh, going to Microsoft um, and they worked at DoorDash. And so they were like trying to decide whether to stay or whether to go. So they needed someone to be a sounding board that wasn't their boss. Their boss would probably try to convince them to stay, right? Regardless of whether it was a good idea for them having a third party neutral objective person that says what do you care about what are your goals what's the best thing for what you want to accomplish so uh he ended up uh taking a job on one of the platform teams for minecraft and so uh he was a lifelong minecraft uh player so he was working in uh doordash before he's now at a more stable company in his mind and uh working on one of the his favorite games of all time so that's great and the cloud, uh, the cloud guy I already mentioned, working on creating a cloud co-op for technical refugees to be able to um, not only employ them, but help generations improve their financial situation. So, yeah, those are the ones that come to mind. Honestly, like, I, I Go ahead, Rod. think, yeah, I think coaching would help a lot of people because personally, I would say that if you ask me, like, what are my goals? I would say some random things, right? Like, I don't know what I'm going to say. I'm gonna, probably going to say, oh, senior engineer and this, 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 this. Like, I think coaches like you, like you guys put it into a perspective, like, hey, uh, write down like five or six goals that you can actually like do it. Is it, I, I know that you showed the pyramid, like one, like steps one, two, three, four. Those kind of things actually help because normally your manager is not the one that's doing it. Your coworkers obviously won't be doing that. You need an outside perspective. You need somebody with experience to tell you that, hey, you are like, if I'm like an L3 and I'm saying, hey, I want to manage people, there should be somebody that's like, hey, you need to calm down and like, you know, focus on getting to L4 first before you go to L5. That putting things into perspective is something like helps a lot, like, come, uh, like a coach can help you with. Yeah. I'll say one quick question and then I'll go to Yannick. Uh, a lot of clients come to me not knowing what their goals are. It's very rare for someone to show up and for them to have a list of like, I know what my goals are. And so 
we spend at least an hour going just on goals because what happens Raja, is someone will say i want to make more money and you're like well great but why why do you want to make more money and there's a reason behind that like money in and of itself doesn't provide a lot of value like it just sits there it doesn't do anything is it because you want job freedom is it because you want to go travel the world for a year and not have to worry about how you could pay for it is it because you have aging parents and you want to build a house on your property so that that way they don't have to go into a, like a retirement home because you're concerned about their safety like those are the reasons right that you want to do this you see the money is a means towards that goal but those reasons are very different from person to person and sometimes there are much easier ways to accomplish those goals that don't require making a million dollars or becoming a vp of engineering um, so it's really just getting to deeply understand who is raja what does he care about why are these goals important to him like and what is he what is he good at what does he value mm -hmm. um, um, you know, if you were wanted to be a hedge fund manager and you really valued work-life balance, we'd be like, okay, so here's the, here's the story. Like work-life balance as a hedge fund manager is unlikely to happen, but maybe you want to become a hedge fund manager now so that you can have work-life balance 10 years from now, like you want to retire early. Maybe that's what you want. Um, but the only way you know is by finding someone you can like sort of talk through, have a sounding board. That's what I like about like having a coach or something. Cause I can't be talking to my manager about that. I want a million dollars. Yeah. It's going to be like, no, yep. I'm not going to give you. Yeah. There's very few guy. managers that can sort of set aside being the boss and talk to you about as a person that they want to see grow. Right. Yep. And they yeah. barely even have time to like, you know, work on individual goals. Like my personal goals are different from what my company OKRs yeah. may be. So yeah. And who do you talk to about those? Right. Yep. Yeah. Yannick, you were going to say something. Uh, yeah. I, I think the question I had was, um, how, how, how do you, do you approach, um, coaching in technology, junior developers differently from maybe like, a from an L5 upwards from senior developers? And, and how, if you do, how, how, how does that differ really? Uh, I approach it in concept, no different. Um, I feel like understanding who you are as a person and what you care about and what your goals are and what you're good at as important to achieving your goal, no matter how old you are, or how much experience you have. Um, however, uh, if I'm talking to an L5, I might be able to use uh, analogies um, or uh, stories from my past that would immediately, uh, that an L5 would immediately understand that maybe a college hire would not understand, right? If I'm talking to L5 and, and uh, Terrence, I think said he was uh, works in front end. I could talk to Terrence and say, man, we have this React Native cutoff like every two weeks. And like, if you don't get your work in by that day and you miss it by two hours, like you have to wait another two weeks for the build. And oh my God, it's so annoying. We have to go solve this problem. Like I can have that conversation with Terrence and I could compare something that he's stuck on, like where this timeline really matters. But if you miss it, it doesn't matter by how much you miss it by, it'll come around again, but there's a minimum amount of time you have to wait. I could use that analogy of the React Native cutoff with Terrence for his promotion. Cause you don't just get a promotion a month after you probably expected it. At bigger companies, there are times you can get promoted. Usually it's every six months. So if you don't get promoted in the summer, you usually can't get promoted in the fall. You have to wait till the winter. So I would use that analogy of the React Native cutoff with Terrence because he would understand it. 
But if someone was a college hire, I wouldn't bring up that suggestion because it's just, it's not going to help them understand uh, the situation. Does that answer your question? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, that's good. Have you ever, have you ever had to uh, maybe reject someone or just not work with someone because they were maybe uncoachable? Was any, are people uncoachable? Uh, yes. Um, it's pretty rare. Um, however, uh, it's not maybe for the reasons that people might expect. I don't, I don't have a concern about someone who want, who is a skeptic and wants, and wants to question what's going on. What I do need is someone who will take some feedback and try it. Like, I don't, you know, it's like, I almost don't even care what Roger thinks about something I'm suggesting he try as long as he tries it. And then he comes back and tells me what happened. Cause there's this sense that in order to get to my goal, all I have to do is move a little bit. This is agile, right? Ask for feedback, see if I'm on or off course, adjust my course and then rinse and repeat, right? Go a little ways. So if my sprints are one week or two weeks long and I have a really healthy feedback process, there's almost no way I won't win. But if I'm doing like yearly releases and I only ask for feedback once a year, the odds I'm going to hit my target are like almost zero, right? Because things just change underneath me too often. So waterfall would not work in, in an area where things have high change. And so finding out the clients that aren't willing to try things early on um, is usually the litmus test. Um, I would say that's the biggest, the biggest thing where people kind of get in their own way. But poor attitude, you know, attitude is an output. You know, I get, I have had questions like even from my clients who are managers, how do you coach someone with a bad attitude? And they're like, well, an attitude is a response to a situation. They are not waking up and saying, I want to have a bad attitude today, right? That's not what they're doing. So like they don't, they feel stuck. So you got to talk about the root causes of those things. And so bad attitude is like an incident it's like a sev2 incident at a company like so go do your root cause analysis and figure out what's causing that bad attitude it's usually lack of feedback and unclear expectations and then you are not incentivizing the right behaviors people act like jerks and they don't get punished so why should i act nice or i busted my butt for two years to get a promotion and i didn't get it so now i'm just going to coast um my boss isn't giving me feedback and yet um, I want a promotion, I'm frustrated, right? Like there's an, there are inputs there that we can control. And those are the things we need to talk about if you wanna change sort of the output. So yeah, you kind of mentioned earlier going from uh, 300,000 to 600,000 in compensation, uh, how significant were the amount of changes that you had to make? And do you feel like you would, you would have been able to do that without coaching or were the insights so valuable that you know you probably would, wouldn't have been able to get to that level without coaching yeah um i don't think without coaching i would have been successful in getting hired at my last company a fintech company but i also had two direct reports who worked with me at a prior company they left to go to this company and they both reached out to me and said you should come work here one i think this is an environment where we need someone like you because you manage differently than other people. And they wanted me to succeed so badly that they talked to me in depth about the culture of the company and what they care about. And so I had a lot of conversations before I even applied about what that kind of role is. Um, uh, but I'm grateful that 
these people who I used to manage said, you should come work here. We think this might be a good fit for you, depending on the org that you join. Um, and they were vested in my success. Um, it feels good to know that I invested in their success and they felt gratitude about it to come back and say, we want you to succeed in this interview process. We want you to we want you to understand what you're getting into, the good stuff and the bad stuff, and, um, and for them to advocate for me to come over. So it was not just the coaching, it was also other people that I've helped in the past wanting to help me, which to me felt really good. Got it. Uh, this is uh, slightly on a tangent, but uh, I believe it's something that maybe you can integrate into your coaching service. But I know a lot of people have been talking about like chat GPT and AI, and these AIs are becoming increasingly more powerful. And I know some people are kind of in fear for losing their jobs. Like how would a program prepare themselves to, you know, not lose their job to AI? Uh the, the problems that are hardest to solve, like we talked about earlier, uh, at higher levels of engineering are almost never the technical ones. Uh, you know, there's a lot of libraries that we call that we did not create, right? Because a lot of building blocks have been created that solve the problems that we face, most of the problems we face. If you work at a Google or you're trying to do something that's never been done before, then that technical part becomes really important. If you're trying to operate at a scale that's higher than anyone has ever attempted, okay. But generally the reason that projects and products fall apart has less to do with the technology and more to do with just being a good collaborator and being able to disagree respectfully and being able to get into even onto a Zoom invite and just talk through differences and like negotiate change and be able to handle conflict well. Like those type of things are, will they ever be automated by AI? They'll probably be the last things that get automated by AI, right? So um, I encourage all technical people while they're building their technical skills to not ignore the fact that sometimes deciding not to build something is the smartest thing you can do. But oftentimes that's a conversation, right? Uh, saying, wow, this is a terrible idea. We shouldn't do this. Let's save the company $50 million and not, not build this thing. So I was, uh, was going to tell you, Kevin, that AI is going to give us the answers, but who's going to ask the right questions? Though? Yeah. That's what matters a lot because it's going to give us the perfect answer. But if I don't ask it the right questions, you know. Yep. Yeah. It makes sense. Uh, did did uh, any of you guys have any other questions? Okay. Uh, yeah, Yannick, you're still thinking? Always, always, but uh, it's always, <laughs> um, no more questions from me. Sure. So how can, uh, how can any, everybody reach you, Brian? Yeah, sure. Uh, anyone interested and in wanting to talk a little bit more, I do free intro chats to see whether or not people are interested in, in having a coach and whether it's a good fit for their situation. They can book an intro call with me at uh, refactorcoaching.com. Um, which connects to my calendar so they could book either a leadership chat or, or a career intro chat there. Um, no cost. So uh, if you're not unsure whether or not it's a good fit, just book some time and we can talk through it. All right, man. We definitely appreciate you for coming back, man. We'll have to have you again. Absolutely. Thanks for having me a second time. Appreciate it. All right. Thank you, everybody, for tuning in. We'll catch y'all next time. Good night. <laughs>